millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, December 7th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show... As the COVID-19 death toll nears 4,000, Mississippi's health leaders ask residents what they would do to save 1,000 lives. Then, newly graduated nursing students are entering the workforce during an unprecedented moment. We see how one recent grad is handling the start of a career during a global pandemic. Plus, a recent study shows only one Mississippi city scores above the national average when it comes to equal rights protections for the LGBTQ community, while others lag far behind. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is experiencing record levels of COVID-19 transmission, and the state is on the cusp of surpassing 4,000 related deaths. Daily coronavirus reports are overwhelming Mississippi's data reporting system. Hospitals across the state are full, and experts say the holidays could make things worse. With coronavirus transmission sweeping across Mississippi, State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs is asking residents what they would do to save 1,000 lives. These are people, these are brothers, these are parents, these are sisters and friends. And I just want to ask everybody, you know, what would you do to save a life? What would you do? What would you do to save a thousand lives? What would you do to save a thousand lives? At this rate, right, 30 something deaths a day, that's a thousand deaths in the month of December. What would you do to save a thousand lives? If I said, would you give your kidney to save a thousand lives? You might do it. All we're asking is that would you be willing to not go to a holiday party to save a thousand lives? Would you be willing to not go to a funeral, to not go to a wedding, to wear a mask in public? Those are easy things. I'm not asking anyone to give a kidney. But we're asking, and I'm not even asking people not to go to work or not even go to school. But what we are asking is for people to avoid social gatherings and to wear a mask in public. But first and foremost, right now, avoiding social gatherings is the most important thing that we should be doing to prevent coronavirus transmission. 
Over the weekend, the state's seven-day rolling average exceeded 1,900 cases per day, and last week brought three days of daily cases in excess of 2,000. Prior to the Thanksgiving holiday, a collection of Mississippi's health leaders pleaded with Governor Tate Reeves to issue a statewide mask mandate. Reeves has thus far elected to maintain a piecemeal strategy targeting 54 specific counties. The health department has issued new guidelines heading into the Christmas holiday, but Dr. Dobbs would like to hear stronger voices from leaders at all levels. With this guidance, we're really talking to individuals, right? So we're really speaking to individuals to make the decisions. And, uh, and I think everybody's quite comfortable with that. I know it's Christmas and people want to do stuff, and I know stuff's going to happen. But I do think it's also a time for leaders to lead. And so what would you do to save a thousand lives? Would you irritate somebody who's mad because they can't do something? Heck yeah, I would. Would you make a hard decision that maybe it's going to irritate some people or maybe even some of your supporters? It's time for leaders to lead. We will work our guts out up here to do. We want to bring as many people as we can across the finish line, but we can't do it by ourselves. Um, so, you know, we'll con- you know, I, I think the governor's interested in doing some more stuff. Um, we'll continue to meet with him. But mayors, other elected officials, other leaders, church leaders are all leaders. And really just encourage them to, to lead as best they can. Um, but that being said, I mean, you know, a parade, you know, I would encourage people not to go to the parade. Um, but I would strongly advocate for against anything indoors, right? Let's talk about severity of risk. Any social event indoors is an exceedingly bad idea right now. Yeah. One area of Mississippi with a high incidence rate in is DeSoto County. Dobbs says even though it is a large population area, the infection rate is high. He says the county is an example of a community exhibiting a unified downplaying of the virus. There's a lot of a lot of stuff in there. Um, you know, they're a bigger county, but they proportionally have a lot more cases. Um, I do hope that people there realize the seriousness of it. Um, we have been concerned about a unified sort of downplaying of the seriousness in certain communities, and, and they have a little bit of that up there. So um, we hope that we can communicate with our DeSoto County uh, brethren to be careful, to be safe. And that's one of the reasons why it's important for you to take charge of your family and yourself and the people that you lead, because it's time. It's time for you to take care of your microcosm. Cases and hospitalizations in the state are soaring at a time when the Department of Health is mapping out a distribution plan for a number of vaccines expected to be available soon. State epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers says if residents practiced the recommended mitigation strategies, cases would drop and the department could invest more resources to vaccine distribution. Everybody in the state of Mississippi did this. Do you have any doubt in your mind that we would have like 200 cases in two weeks? Oh, it would drop off, and I think we've seen that before. And I think the thing that, that's really discouraging for me is as I'm listening to y'all talk this afternoon, these are the same conversations we've been having now for weeks and the same things we've been saying now uh, for weeks. And, you know, at the same time that we're dealing with 2,500 cases and 37 deaths, we're also trying to figure out how are we going to get a vaccine out and get it effectively administered to the to the to the appropriate phases, and and I tell you, if if folks could really help us out by by working hard to reduce the case counts and reduce the deaths now, 
that's going to allow us to continue to put our maximum efforts into the vaccine and, and getting that out. Um, you know, it's the same five people that have been doing this up here for the whole time. And, and you know, we're juggling, juggling lots of things. Mississippi's health leaders are urging residents to scale down holiday celebrations, limiting it to nuclear family. Dr. Mark Horn, president of the State Health Association, says Mississippians should consider these sacrifices as a way to embrace the season of giving. I think another way of saying that is as we come into this season of giving that we all love so much, why don't we give each other the gift of life? And we do that by taking care of each other, by caring about each other. And by in this giving season, we give life by separating ourselves from those that we normally gather with, by not gathering together in large crowds outside of our nuclear families, and by just doing these simple, basic things that we said over and over again. What an amazing gift to give somebody 2021 and 22 and 23 and the years beyond. It's a great gift. Mississippi has reported 164,931 cases of COVID-19 since March 11th, with 3,931 related deaths. Coming up, newly graduated nursing students are entering the workforce during an unprecedented moment. We see how one recent grad is handling the start of a career during a global pandemic. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The coronavirus pandemic is placing unprecedented strain on Mississippi's hospital system as the state faces rising rates in cases, hospitalizations, and critical care patients. For those entering the healthcare profession in 2020, introduction to new careers has been akin to trial by fire. Dalton Sumrall recently graduated Jones Community College with an associate's degree in nursing. Now he's taking part-time shifts at South Central Regional Medical Center in Laurel, where he encounters the realities of the pandemic daily. There's a good amount that do come in that are COVID positive. Um, The big thing with where we are is you never really fully know if they're COVID positive or negative, which, I mean, that goes, you know, in pretty much every area in in healthcare right now because you can get the false positives and the false negatives and whatnot. If if they have symptoms like difficulty breathing or, or fever, then you're going to treat them as if they're positive? Yes, ma'am. We, we call this PUIs, person under uh, investigation. Tell me what a normal shift is like for you. Um, so I come in, um, we do, you know, morning report, which would be afternoon report with my, with my crew. Um, and I go through and I make sure everything's stocked as far as the you know, IV carts where we get all of our supplies to do IVs and um, blood draws and, you know, different little things like that. And then I um, just assist the nurses in anything that I'm able to do that's within my scope of practice. And, you know, that could be anything from drawing blood, like simple labs, um, 
you know, to anything as small as just taking a patient to the bathroom. Um, so there's a, there's a broad amount of things that I do throughout, um, a shift, but yeah, mainly as a tech, you're there to support the nursing staff. What are you wearing in regard to PPE? We have, we get the full uh, get up. So we have the N95 respirators, um, we have gowns, we have face shields, um, shoe covers, uh, hair, hair nets, um, the whole, the whole nine yards as far as that goes. Are you afraid of being exposed to COVID-19 and, and perhaps testing positive? Um, for my personal safety, not really. Um, and the reason for that being is I, I am young, um, and, you know, I feel like I will be able to handle it decently. What I'm afraid of is bringing it home to my family. Um, you know, my parents are getting up there in age, and I have a father-in-law and a mother-in-law who are also getting up there in age, and I don't want to expose them or any of my other family members to, to COVID. How about staffing? Is the staff holding up pretty well? Because we do hear about fatigue among medical workers. As far as I can see, the staffing is still holding steady. Um, I feel like South Central has been very fortunate. I think we have excellent staff um, throughout, you know, all levels. So I, I haven't noticed any staffing problems in my, you know, couple of weeks of being there. Um, but, you know, that could that could change. But as of right now, um, everything looks great. I haven't really seen anybody just dip out on shifts or or, um, you know, just refuse to come to work or anything like that. And I haven't honestly seen a lot of burnout either. Um, you know, everybody's tired, everybody's exhausted, but, you know, for the most part, they seem to be trying to keep higher spirits um, and you know, just, just going into work and handling business. What about the patients themselves? Because there has to be some fear there. There are so many unknowns still with COVID-19. Uh are you seeing that fear? Are you? Do you find yourself needing to comfort or wanting to comfort patients? It it it, it varies amongst people. Um, you do see people that are, you know, oh my gosh, you know, I don't, I don't know if I can survive this, and they may have some of the milder symptoms. They just, you know, they watch the news and they see everything about COVID and everything like that. So, and it may kind of you know, get in the head a little bit and make them freak out a little bit more. But, um, you know, it just varies amongst patients. Some patients handle it very well, some don't. Um, well, obviously, you didn't choose nursing during a pandemic. What drew you to nursing to begin with? Uh, well, originally, um, what drew me to nursing was my father-in-law is a physical therapist, and he was talking to me how, how he, in his words, broad open the field is, you know, there's different avenues and things like that. So I, that's what got me interested. And then when I got into nursing school, I actually realized that I really liked patient care and dealing with people and um, helping people and things like that. This has been an opportunity. I don't mean to say that it's a good thing, but it has given you uh, the environment that you can do exactly what you were drawn to. Right. Definitely. Um, and, you know, honestly, as a new grad, I think it may actually be, you know, on a positive note with it, I think it may actually be somewhat better for 
new grads to kind of be thrown out of the firing pan into the fire. You know, as we say in the South, you know, someone who graduated saw real nursing or nursing that wasn't, you know, related to COVID for a couple months and then gets thrown into a whole nother situation. I think a lot of those nurses uh, struggled a little bit, but I think um, students who have gone through clinicals with COVID and now are getting jobs with COVID um, actually are somewhat better prepared. After going through the pandemic, I mean, it sounds again like like you're doing what you've wanted to do. Do you have any regrets, though? Is it more difficult than you thought it would be? Um, honestly, no. Um, I'm happy with the career choice that I made. Um, and you know, the the thing is, is COVID's not going to last forever. We will again eventually beat it. Um, you know, nobody knows exactly when. You know. Two or three years from now, we will still be dealing with the aftermath of this, but eventually this will be um, a thing of our past, and I think we'll move on to, to normal life again. Um, no telling when, but we eventually will, and you know, I'll be happy to see that, um, and I definitely do not regret uh, choosing this career choice. I think it's, it's one of the... the best things I could have done with the skills that God gave me with people's skills and things like that. Well, I thank you so much for being with us, Dalton Sumrall, who just graduated several weeks ago with an associate degree in nursing and working at South Central Regional Medical Center. Thank you so much, Dalton. Thank you for having me. Coming up, a recent study shows only one Mississippi city scores above the national average when it comes to equal rights protections for the LGBTQ community, while others lag far behind. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's capital city is receiving high marks in an equal rights report, but many of the state's other large municipalities are lagging behind. Jackson ranks above the national average in a report released by the Human Rights Campaign for Cities with policies that include LGBTQ protections. The organization reviewed nine Mississippi cities with the largest lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer populations on laws that prevent discrimination. Rob Hill is is with the Mississippi chapter of the Human Rights Campaign. He explains the report and what it reveals with our Desiree Frazier. There's five categories that we uh, assess in each city, and we and we basically we we you know get all of this through public records uh, that are available, and we also uh, invite the cities to respond um, uh, to any of these. But but it's uh, basically does the city have a non-discrimination law? Um, does the city uh, provide services to the LGBTQ community? Does the city have a liaison to the uh, to the executive, the mayor? Is there a, a liaison to the um, from the uh, police force? Does the city um, uh, report hate crime uh, hate crimes um, each year to the FBI? So there's any number of, of areas that we that we score. 
why is this important to look at this and put out this report? Well, it's it's important, you know, because there are many cities, there are many, excuse me, at least 19 states around the country that don't have any kind of uh, statewide non-discrimination protections. Uh, Mississippi is one of them. So it's really important that, that cities take the lead, and very often they do. And at the municipal level, uh, we're seeing uh, leadership around the country, even in states uh, that don't have those non-discrimination protections at the statewide level. You know, in Mississippi, four municipalities, in fact, have passed non-discrimination ordinances uh, in the last four years. So we're seeing that leadership uh, right here in Mississippi as well. I'm looking at the nine cities, uh, Bay St. Louis, Biloxi, Gulfport, Hattiesburg, Jackson, Ocean Springs, Oxford, South Haven, Starkville. Of the nine cities, these are the only cities they looked at. Is that correct? Yeah, those are the only cities that we looked at in Mississippi. And we base the decision on on how we uh, choose those cities by population of the cities. Of course, Jackson being the highest uh, in population. We also look at university towns. Um, like Starkville and Oxford, who are included in that. Uh, But we also uh, choose cities that have a high population of LGBTQ people or same-sex couples uh, based on the census that are living in those communities. And and that's why we chose places like Bay St. Louis and Ocean Springs. How are these cities doing? Well, uh, in Jackson, we saw an increase um, this year in the points. Uh, Also in Hattiesburg, we saw an increase and in um, Biloxi, they, they doubled their number um, at their, as to where they were last year. So we are seeing some progress in these cities. And the good news is I've met with many of the folks in these communities, uh, particularly the cities on the Gulf Coast. Um, and they're working actively to try to, uh, to increase their score. Hopefully we'll get even better results in 2021. But you see uh, places where they've been stagnant over the last uh, few years. It's not because we haven't tried to reach out to them and try to help them with this. Uh, but uh, we're going to continue to make sure that they know about this assessment and that they're doing everything they can to make sure that LGBTQ people feel welcome and safe and included in their communities. Who would you say is stagnant? Well, I I think you can look at the cities that have not changed over the last few years in their score. And so, or in, for instance, you know, South Haven, uh, they score a zero. It's not because we haven't uh, reached out to them. Uh, we're going to continue to reach out to them, but uh, but yeah, that that's not a great score. And I, you know, and I, frankly, I don't think in many of these cities their score is indicative of the kind of experience people have in those communities. Like for instance, Bay St. Louis gets a low score, but uh, very often people, ex- you know, think of Bay St. Louis as a place of, of that's very open and welcoming. The good news is we're working with the the mayor and the city government there and local folks there to to increase that. They didn't do it this year. But uh, but we're going to make sure that they aren't stagnant and those uh, scores increase in the next year. What are you hearing from the LGBTQ community about living in Mississippi? Well, we know that the stigma is still high in Mississippi for LGBTQ people, but LGBTQ people are still living here. Um, You know, we know in the just uh, six years ago in a Williams study that Mississippi on average had just as many LGBTQ people uh, living in our state as as any other place. Um, I think things like the Municipal Equality Index are great indicators uh, for folks who are looking to locate uh, their business in some of these communities or even looking to to, uh, 
to uh, live in these places. You know, you look at the score, you see that Jackson's 80 out of 100. You say, you know, that's a place where I feel safe and welcome, and I think I'd like to, to go there. And I would encourage other cities around the state to, to, to do that, too, to change policy, not just have a statement of welcome, but to put it on paper and have policy in place that, that's measurable, that's tangible, that says to folks that you are welcome and safe in this community. It could go a long way. How is the community doing during this COVID-19 pandemic? Well, we know from we know from from data that the LGBTQ community has been disproportionately uh, affected by COVID. Um, so many LGBTQ people work um, in, or a higher percentage of LGBTQ people work in, in healthcare. Uh, a higher percentage of LGBTQ people work in. Uh, in places of public accommodation, like restaurants and bars and things like that. So, so they've been impacted economically. They've been impacted, you know, at their wallet, but they've also been impacted by it, just the effects of COVID and on, on their health. This report that has come out, will you be sharing this with um, state legislators? Yeah, I mean, we'll share this. This is, you know, public. Um, we want the, all of the folks in these communities to, to know about it, uh, whether it be legislators, but especially if they're local leaders, um, you know, because you know, they're the ones who can change the policies at the local level. But it's also important to share with, with our statewide leaders, too, and help them to realize that we don't have any statewide protections for, for LGBTQ people. And so, you know, to look and see that if, if these communities, if they're the ones who are leading the way on this, uh, you know, the state needs to do their part as well. Okay. Well, Rob Hill with the Human Rights Campaign, thank you so much for your time and speaking with us about this report. Thank you so much. It's always good to be with you. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.